Season three, season three, somebody hits a season three, Jeff and Scott and Mrs. C, with Blanche and John, the crew, a new movie, it's so much fun that you'll have to pee, it's gonna cure your apathy, and I'm we, it's the Slumgullions, we're still booking ghosts on the Slumgullions, you're not getting ghosts on the Slumgullions, should probably fade on Good morning, afternoon, evening, and welcome to another edition of the Slumgullion America's only podcast. Scott is in California, and I am in a field somewhere near Sarasota for some reason. I don't know. I'm a little scared, but I'm here. Scott, how are you? Uh, I'm less scared, probably more hot. It's blistering here, but uh, I'm going to try to get through it before heat exhaustion turns me into a puddle of grotesque, disgusting lipids. Well, at least you're where you were supposed to be. Like I said, I went to bed in Idaho. I woke up in Florida. I'm having a weird night. Yeah, that's not even a lateral move. That's definitely... No, 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 it's not. So it has been a while indeed. We have a lot of things um, to catch up on. Uh, before we begin to say this may be a short one, there is a farmer who is looking at me very weirdly. So, <laughs> so we'll see how this goes. First thing that I would like to bring up since um, I just watched episode two is Marvel's new show Loki is here. It is. It has made a bit of a splash, I would say. It has. It has indeed made a bit of a splash. Um, now all Disney Plus shows will be premiering on Wednesdays. That's fine with me. Wednesdays are a slow day for me. <laughs> but um, OK, so we have had two episodes so far. Scott, I haven't talked to you about this at all. Yeah, that's how weird things have been around here. Don't even ask me to tell you about the time I was in Lyon, France. So, Scott, what did you what are you thinking so far, Loki? It's hitting the sweet spot sort of between the absolute brain bending weirdness of WandaVision and the more traditional action movie sort of buddy cop gestalt that we got with Falcon and the Winter Soldier. As Mary mentioned last night, she said, well, this is very much a deconstructed buddy picture. It's got kind of an 80s love you, hate you vibe, but it's it's twisted in the way Marvel likes to do. And I am completely here for it. So far, I am entirely on board with the mythos, with the narrative, with the character work. Love Owen Wilson. I think he's a tremendous asset to this. He is knocking it out of the park. He really, really is. Hiddleston's Loki is very much a performer. He's very much generating and acting to produce certain effects in his listeners in ways normal people generally don't do. And Owen Wilson is just sort of letting that bounce off him. I mean, it's it's almost hilarious to watch how little he gives back. It's a matter of not taking the bait. It leaves Loki so befuddled and deflated that I can't stop laughing. I love it. And as somebody said on Twitter, the mystery is interesting. It's a fun little setup for a chase through time and space. But my favorite parts are when they just are sitting there debating free will or the mechanics of the universe. And I got to say, I, I kind of like that too. And the funniest thing, I think, in the episode was we've seen this in a thousand and one movies and TV shows where somebody is going to explain the heist or the nature of reality, or the nature of the problem that they're facing. 
and you know they're sitting at a table at lunch or breakfast or dinner oh, or whatever yes. right and they start pulling they start pulling out the condiments and the rolls and okay you know this this brioche is you and this salt shaker is them and, and instead it was Loki like kind of deliberately destroying his lunch he's like shaking the salt and the pepper like maracas just mm-hmm. completely making this salad inedible and okay we've seen this 10,000 times before but this time it's funny that's one of the things I like about Marvel is they keep taking these well-worn tropes, which they have to traffic in because that is the be-all and end-all of comic book narrative. And they are presenting it, but then just like holding a, a lighter under it. So it's like it's melted somewhat. It's it's a little off. And I'm all about a little off. Yeah, I have I had um, two big takeaways so far from the first two episodes first. And actually, they both came from episode one. First is I love that it has kind of a Brazil vibe to it. Yes, very much so with the technology and the um, the bureaucracy. It's very, very much Brazil. I love the idea of Loki in the Brazil universe. That just makes me giggle. (laughs) And the second thing, and this is the more interesting thing to me, and now I'm not sure if they're, we'll see if they play with it, but they kind of did in the first episode. I absolutely love the moment when he saw the Infinity Stones and a quote-unquote god realized he was not the most important being in the universe. The Infinity Stones, these things which have given him such power and the possibility of conquering known space. And they're just sitting in a drawer like Grandma's forgotten costume jewelry. And the idea of a god trying to figure out his place in the world amuses me, particularly when it's Loki. I really kind of hope they play up that angle more because I really, really like that. I feel like they are, although they did take a short detour with the uh, variant that they're hunting. Some people think it's Lady Loki. I don't think so. I agree with people who think it's a version of Enchantress. And okay. The the Marvel Enchantress, not the obviously not the DC Enchantress that, that was used in Suicide Squad. Different characters, and I feel like that's who they're going with. Partly because 2012, I think it was, Tom Hiddleston pitched a Loki solo movie with Enchantress as the villain, or the okay. other villain. So I feel like they're they're possibly using his. Uh, his material or his idea in some form. I do have to say, I also did like, in, in episode two, I did like the fact that all of the um, other actors, while the, while the, 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 fo- the folky, shall we call him? <laughs> oh, come on, I like that one. We have Fiatro, now we have folky. Uh, I, I just had to take a moment because I thought, okay, that's funny, but it's a slippery slope. Do I allow this and open the door to even worse puns? But, you got me. I couldn't. I couldn't hold. I couldn't hold my poker face. Damn it. That was a nice try. But I liked all the actors when he when he was quote unquote possessing everybody. They kind of kept the same personality. You believed it was the same person. That's the kind of attention to detail that I like with these shows. I have to admit, while I, I this is this, I agree with what you said at the beginning. This really does feel like a nice blend of the weirdness of WandaVision uh, and the more. Um, straightforward storytelling aspects of uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. And yeah, so far, WandaVision is still my favorite, but this one is, this one's fun. It is fun. And I was thinking about you when I was watching it last night because of where it falls on that spectrum. I remember you liked Falcon and Winter Soldier. You, you accepted what they were doing with it, but you you couldn't give it a crap about the stakes. The Flag Smashers did nothing for you. Yeah. And I don't, 
I don't disagree. They really didn't pop as villains. Nor, nor I think, were they supposed to. I think they were supposed to be uncomfortably close to right. The way, uh, oh, God, what was uh, Michael B. Jordan's character? Oh, Killmonger. Thank you. Killmonger. Killmonger was also supposed to be a villain who had a really good point up until he started killing people. So this thing, though, it doesn't matter what the stakes are. It really, it honestly doesn't. They're telling us that it's basically the existence of the timeline. Now, whether the timeline fracturing means existence is over, I don't know. I, I don't necessarily think so. I don't, certainly, I don't think we're supposed to trust the space lizards who run this, the TVA. I, I, I do not believe that at all, I, as well, yes. Yeah, so I think I think the timekeepers are up to something, and I think Loki's probably going to not necessarily expose it in any sort of heroic way, but definitely throw a spanner into it. And I know the rumor is one of them might be Kang. Right, right. Well, Kang, Kang definitely fits in this milieu. And the point of the show, obviously, is to fuck up the timeline so badly that it, it fractures into multiple multiverses. I think the point of the show basically is to set up Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And now I'm beginning to see when you look at their monitors that chart the timeline and how it started, mm-hmm. it started growing all these legs and looked like a, some horrible millipede toward the end mm-hmm. of the episode. I'm thinking, okay, I, I thought it was it was Multiverse of Madness just because that was irresistible alliteration. But no, now I kind of think that things are going to get legitimately insane, which, again, I'm completely here for. I'm here for you, Marvel. If, I'm here for you. If if you go that far, if you go that far, I'm still, everything for me, at least right now, hinges on secret invasions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm really looking forward to that, but I'm trying not to think about it because I know it's not going to be, I, I'm not going to say remotely like because, because Feige is a comic fan and he does try to promote a comics accurate solution when possible, but I have a feeling... Right that this version of Secret Wars is going to be very different from the comic books, which I really enjoyed, but I'm willing to let go of them. I just don't want to start speculating because so many people are going to be so pissed off when it drops because it's it's going to take liberties with the storyline, as it has to. We're not following the comics continuity. We're following the MCU continuity, which diverged a long, long time ago. I was going to say, right, right. No, no, I am, this is, this, this... <sighs> I'm very intrigued to see where the overarching plot of Phase 4 now is going. Yeah, it's definitely not anything like what's come before. It's The, the stakes, I think, are going to be very different. And I'm wondering if the fact that they are opening up the TV series and allowing the characters to go through more complex emotions. I mean, you look what, they, you look what that storyline put poor Elizabeth Olsen's Wanda through. A total psychotic break and a kind of very quotidian ordinary grief that sadly almost all of us can identify with that's one of the reasons i think it connected so strongly with people not just that it was a fun extraordinarily well-done series that trafficked in things we hadn't really seen before but i think it's it's the fact that we were all hooked by her journey and her pain and her struggle to get through the the multiple losses she suffered in her life and same thing here i mean loki sees himself die sees himself murdered by thanos he sees the destruction of of asgard and what or rather he, he reads about it and you can see he doesn't weep but there are tears in his eyes and he finds and out his mom dies his mother dies he sees that he realizes he had a hand in it they are putting him through some interesting things that you couldn't do in a movie because you can't slow down the sled once you push mm-hmm. it down the hill 
as it is, the movies often go at a breakneck pace and still wind up being, you know, two hours and 40 minutes long. But TV goes at a more deliberate pace, and that deliberate pace is designed to examine and, in some ways, eviscerate human emotions. Yeah, that's why TV's from the earliest days on was talking heads. That's what soap opera is. And even though it, this doesn't feel like a soap opera, it does compare to previous Marvel product because there's so much emphasis being put on how the people who are going through these things feel about these things. And I think as much as I'm loath to countenance all of these mega mergers that are consolidating entertainment companies into these these brutes that bestride the universe, I I actually really like the miniature detail work that they're doing now. It's sort of like the difference between seeing the cathedral chart or seeing the interior of a Fabergé egg. Both are stunning, but the scale is completely different. And yet the feeling of awe is very similar. So I am very satisfied by what Marvel's doing. And I, and I think the fact that they control a streaming service, they are putting out movies, gives them license to do things and to experiment with things that no network would have or ever did do before. So uh, as much as I, I'm all in favor of the Sherman Antitrust Act, I have to admit, selfishly as a fan, I was so excited when the merger went through with Fox because that meant the, the X-Men and the, the Fantastic Four and other characters they sold off are returning to the fold. The deal they cut for Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And supposedly we're getting Namor, who was sold off to Universal yes. decades ago. Yes. And the other the other great joy of this particular merger is that the Xenomorph is now an alien princess. I mean, it is, it is a Disney princess. <laughs> it is. I mean, no, it the had... Xenomorph queen, alien yeah. queen, so the Xenomorph is a Disney princess. That's true. Well, wait a minute. Have we established that the xenomorph is female? Are they all female? Because usually in societies where there's a queen, the drones are all male. Hey, in today's society, it doesn't matter. You can be whatever you want. If You, you can be a boy exactly. and a Disney princess if you want. No, I, I completely support that. And th- that would have they saved are, me a few. The, and they are the egg spawn of the alien queen. So as far as I'm concerned, I, I don't care. No, they are, they are Disney princesses. They should have been in Wreck-It Ralph too. That would have made that sequence even better. When we took my nieces to Disneyland, and my eldest niece was four, the youngest was in a stroller, and she had a little autograph book, and she was going to go out and meet the characters. But she liked Ariel, and she liked Cinderella, and she liked all the princesses. Now, she had no truck with these rodents that were wandering around, these gigantic mute creatures, legitimately and rightfully scared the crap out of her. So when we said, do you want to go talk to, you know, do you want to get some autographs for your book? She said, in in her lisping four-year-old way, yes, but. And we all stopped and looked. Like all these adults gathered around waiting for the next syllable from this four-year-old. I only want to talk to the human girls. And I thought, you know what? That that is brilliant. And I wish I had, I wish I thought of that when I was dating. That would have saved me so much trouble. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> One last thing before we switch topics. Uh, I really wish the Black Widow movie had come out before she died. Yeah. Yeah, it would have, it would have given her death a lot more impact. But you know what? Now, at least <laughs> if there was no justice for Barb, at least finally there, Natasha got the, the standalone picture with the backstory that everybody wanted. So, but here's my pro- this is But this is my biggest problem right now. I don't care. <laughs> I do. I love the character. I like the character. I, I, I like the character, but like I said, I mean, she's dead now. I don't. This is. I don't care about this. Oh, Jeff, this is comic book death. 
I know. I I, know, yeah, I don't. Well. If you mourn the death of a comic book character, you're a moron. I don't mean no, you personally. I, I mean just in general. I don't mourn the death. I'm just like, all right, her arc has already run out. This is flashback. I mean, like I said, I'll rent it. If she was still alive, I would see it in the theaters. But the fact that she's dead is it's definitely going to be it's going to be a renter. Mm. All right. Well, I, I think they're they're actually using it to uh, to tee up her replacement, Yelena Belova, played by uh, oh, oh, I'm sure that, uh, that, that, that wouldn't be surprised at all. Oh boy. Oh, boy, yeah, Farmer is looking at me even weirder. So we're going to switch topics here real fast. Um, so I told Scott about a movie a while back ago. And, uh, Scott, I'm going to let you introduce this movie. Oh, all right. Only because, only because I wasn't sure if this was going to be a hard sell or not. We've talked about this a little bit, but I, I, I really want your initial, what was your reaction to what, how I described the movie versus you actually watching the movie. So um, please introduce our, our, our next topic for pooping on, although we're not going to poop on it. Well, this is the, no far from it. There's a, um, this was another movie where I said, Scott, you need to see this. You know, your batting average is very high. You've told me this about movies. I had never even heard of one was the Matthew McConaughey serenity, serenity, yes. which I was, was only dimly aware existed and knew nothing about, which was perfect. If you happen mm -hmm. to see, if you were moved in any way to take our advice and see the Matthew McConaughey Serenity, don't even read a synopsis. Just cue it up and watch it. The less you know, the better. But what I said to um, Jeff after I turned off this movie, uh, I texted him the following. I always said I didn't want kids, but Psycho Goreman has changed my mind. And the, the reason that is because yes. if you're going to have kids, you might as well have an all-powerful bad seed of a daughter because that makes life a lot more interesting. I have to say that this movie hit me in a way no film has since I think like our third or fourth show. This is Turbo going, Kid. This is going back years. Yeah, Turbo Kid, which again, we haven't talked about in a long time, but is another one of these little... Fabergé egg gems that was made from the detritus of previous movies, earlier decades and genres. It's a pitch perfect evocation of, and let's say critique of, those canon Golan Globus type post-apocalyptic thrillers that were cranked out by the metric ton in the 80s. It's hilarious, but it's also moving and it hits all the right notes. It's the pleasure of those films while taking a deservedly jaundiced eye at them. I honestly don't want to go into too much of the plot because this is sort of like Serenity. I would, I think people should go into this one, you know, knowing a little bit, but not everything, just to, to experience the joys. But the, the basic plot of Psycho Gorman is, um, let's see here, how best to describe this. What if evil incarnate fell into the hands of a sociopathic 12-year-old girl? Turns out great things happen from that. <laughs> That's that, that, that's basically the movie right there. This is how I describe it. It is somebody doing J.J. Abrams doing Spielberg. It's got that nuclear family in the suburbs kind of feel mm -hmm. where something extraordinary and completely impossible happens and changes everybody's lives. It's like that in a very, very twisted way that in no in no fashion tries to plead for your sympathy the performances are absolutely ruthless because pretty much everybody in it except maybe the mom who's just unpleasant 
is kind of a terrible person. All right, except the brother. The brother actually is kind of a, See, the a, brother, a paragon. The brother is like the one nice guy, one nice character in the actual film. Which made me think, oh, you're dying. You're going to... You're, I you're, thought so too. Yeah. And it's funny because the stakes are so small through most of the movie. You think it's th- this girl who gains control of this alien killing machine is either going to start running up a body count or is going to lose control of it and everyone she knows and loves is going to be destroyed. And whether she actually loves anybody or not is an open question. I mean, she does save her brother. I think that's partly because he is a very, very useful minion. And where's she going to get another one? Absolutely. She likes her dad because he basically says, yeah, okay, cool, to anything she wants to do. And she disdains her mother because her mother's basically a suburban mom. She's always nagging people because nobody in the family, again, with the exception of the brother, is anything less than completely sociopathic. The two things that I was genuinely surprised by by the film were, A, I'm, I was very happy with the fact that the effects are about 90% practical. They may be totally practical, I don't know, but I mean the bulk of the effects are practical, both the gore and the creature effects, and that always makes me happy. And two, it's legitimately funny. Oh, it's funny all the way through. When it's not funny, it's witty. It's like, ah, uh, I see what you're doing there. Some of it's subtle. Some of it's just blatantly in your face. Some yes. of it's some of it you know, has all the subtlety of, of Mighty Python, Sam Peckinpah at a garden party sketch. Yes. Very nice analogy. Thank you. And some of it is just kind of subtle character stuff that turns expected tropes and stereotypes on their head. But it, it all works in the context of the movie and who these people are. By the end of the movie, they're all basically the same people. Not that nobody learns anything, although I'd be hard-pressed to tell you what anyone learned from having this alien killing machine in their life. Some people learn how to play Crazy Ball. That's true. Crazy Ball, which is kind of like Calvin Ball, gets its day in the sun. And frankly, you know, I, I'm still much more interested in that than I am in European football, despite Ted Lasso. Tried to care for Ted, but I just couldn't do it. The, some of the things I thought were just dropped as jokes early on, because why not get a laugh out of it, even though it's a little silly? But the silly stuff pays off later. Pays off big. It's remarkable. And it, it's... All right, see, every time I want to I give a concrete example, but it's a spoiler. This non-spoiler stuff is for the birds. I'm glad we don't that's do this why, very often, because it's, I was going to say, that's why we don't do it normally. But, I mean, sometimes I, I feel that, like, well, if we say we're, we're, we're not giving spoilers, that should tell you something. That should tell you that we respect the film, the filmmakers, their achievement, what they did, and, and the fact that we want you to have the same experience we had. So... But know that it's hard, that we are just biting our tongues. You know, at some point now, after after it's been out for a while, we may actually do a full-blown just discussion about the film. It could happen because there are lots of things just to go, oh, my God, that scene was so awesome. Well, I would like to, to compare PG colon Psycho Gorman, to give it its full title, yeah. to, um, say, Super 8. It reminded me of a movie that I would have rented on VHS back in the 80s. Which is... Fantastic, because you can tell that the people who made this movie read it all the same shit you did back in the eighties. Oh no, ab- absolutely. I mean, I can, I, I, and I love the fact that like there was a there was a, a trailer for the movie that played like an old VHS commercial, like the trailers they'd show before. The yes, tapes with the music and everything. I mean, yes, they, they went totally that route with it, and it just freaking worked. I. By the end of the movie, I was like, I kind of wish it had started with the old Vestron video. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. 
Yes, I do. Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> no, no. That should have been a Vestron movie. I kind of wish they had made that joke. But anyway, it's fine. It's, it's, a, it's a movie packed with jokes. And the more you know about movies in general, if you are a movie fan, and if you're listening to this nonsense, I assume you are, <laughs> the more you're going to find it funny. Because there are some of the jokes are just there if you know what the reference is. They don't lampshade everything. I rented it on uh, Amazon Prime, I think. That, yep, that, yep that, I, I, that's what I did, too. So I want to buy it. Next time I ever have, if I ever have money again, I will buy it because I want to own that movie. I do, too, because I would like to watch it again because I know there's stuff I missed. And mm-hmm. I mean, what do you do if, if you have an alien creature at your command who previously had subjugated whole planets, decimated species and civilizations? Well, you make him the drummer for your shitty garage band. That. <laughs> and it's, they don't even make a point of it. She's just singing like you assume she does, because what's better than being the front man or the front girl for a band? Everyone, everyone's had that fantasy. You know, her brother's on guitar. That's fine. He's supporting her. I'm sure they do this all the time. And now they got an alien killing machine on drums. But it's, he's just back there. They don't make a point of it. Okay. It's kind of, it kind of feels like if the banana splits had split up and one of them just decided to conquer the universe and it didn't work out. <laughs> This would this would make a nice pairing for that evil banana splits movie. Oh yeah, did you ever see that? I loved it. Okay, I didn't see it. A, a friend of mine named John Esty, who I've known for ever since childhood, and who who knows my uh, unusual proclivities, I think called that out to my attention when it was first circulating. And he also called this movie out before I saw it. I, I had heard of it thanks to you, but I hadn't gotten around to seeing it. And he says, "Oh, you got to see this." And you were both right. You both know me. I'm transparent. And shameful. There and there is absolutely nothing wrong with that, at least when it comes to this. So, folks, seriously, PG colon Psycho Goreman is available. I believe it's available in physical copy now, but it's on pretty much all the streaming services to buy or rent. Five dollars to rent. It is more. It's worth a buy. It's worth the price to buy, honestly. But seriously, just rent the movie if you're in the mood for a creature feature with some gore and a surprisingly well-written script surprisingly well-written just funny the characters are consistent all the way through the performances of those characters is surprisingly good for a film at this budget level usually there's a few clunkers everyone's pretty strong everyone commits nobody does that little special pleading winking at the camera thing where yeah i'm not really this bad no they are all committed to being human monsters which, which, in a way, hilariously humanizes the actual monster. Because he has to deal with their bullshit. Like, he's used to grinding entire peoples and planets neath his iron heel. And here he's got this little girl making him do just the most embarrassing shit. And he's got to take it. I kind of admired his song fraud. He really just like, eh, fine, whatever. Yeah, I, I'm going to so kill you. But, yeah, all right, hit me with the ball. The, the monster is the most identifiable character. As weird as it sounds, I, I don't know how they would do it. And I don't normally say this, but I will say it. I would like a sequel to Psycho Goreman. I would too, although that would require a phenomenal amount of invention on the filmmaker's part. Because it seemed like they didn't leave a lot in the locker room with this. They went for every joke they could. So yes, I, I hope to see the continuing adventures, not only of Psycho Goreman, but I want to see that psychotic little girl again. Yes, because yes, she was delightful, yes. and we know how you feel about child actors. So I the fact love that you're them. Saying that. That's how. That's how I knew that Scott 
like really, really enjoyed the, uh, the movie when he said he liked the girl. I'm like, okay, this won him over completely. <laughs> <laughs> it's like if Margaret O'Brien in, you know, Our Vines Had Tender Grapes or Meet Me in St. Louis had been this shockingly sociopathic, I would sit down and watch those movies more. Now it's like, eh, it's Christmas time, fine. I'll watch Meet Me in St. Louis, whatever. Oh. God, I wish Margaret O'Brien was trying to murder at least one of her <laughs> siblings. God? Yeah. I think I may have to go Farmers Getting Friends. Okay, is this like Blood Farmer? Or are you working... I, I, is he working I, I, on a I, I, sex farm? What, what's going to happen? Um, I'm not quite sure. I kind of want to go over and find out. But like I said, he's got friends now, so now I'm kind of afraid. But either way, it should make for an interesting um, Thursday. But before I do go, I do need to ask you, have you seen the Picard Season 2 trailer? Yes, I thought... Uh, just when I, I think I'm out, they pull me back in! I thought, okay, and fine. See, season one did it, did what it needed to do for me personally. It was my my own form of therapy. It got me over my twenty five year long hate of Picard. Right. And uh, I thought, okay, that's great. Now, now I'm done. I'm I'm healed, and I can go on about my life. And then I saw I saw that teaser for season two, and I'm going, oh, oh I gotta watch this now. This sucks. I'm kind of torn. I, I'm, I'm kind of torn with this with this trailer because um, on, on the one hand, unlike you, I really like Q and John Delancey looks freaking amazing now. I mean, that shot, the one shot you have him, I was like, OK, you look good, man. He does. He does. <laughs> that, is, that is an awesome look for Q. I, even though we only saw the one from like that outfit, the, the way you look right now, you, that looks awesome. But B, it involves one of my least favorite tropes of all time. Which one? Oh, we're getting time travel. Oh, well, yeah. Because, I mean, I was like, okay, Q, I'm sitting there going, okay, Q's back. And then I realized, okay, yeah, there's going to be some time travel. And I went, oh, God, damn it. I hate time travel, but, but, and this is why I'm kind of, like, fluctuating, I really loved all good things. Right. I think all good things was a phenomenal finale for next gen. I mean, that was basically time travel. So I'm like, all right, Star Trek can do it, City on the Edge of Forever. But they can also not do it. They've also done it badly. <laughs> yeah, but some of their best episodes, as you say, City on the Edge of Forever, Star Trek Four with the whales. Eh, well, that's uh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm 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 against the grain on that one. I really do not like that film at all. But it's generally considered one of the best of oh, the I original know, I know, series. I know this is this is going to sound bad. I've said this before, but yeah, for, for 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 these Star Trek folks out there, here 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 is my explanation, and this is bad, but it's true. It just felt too cute to me. It felt it just felt too cute. It felt like a sitcom. Some of it, some of it absolutely did. Them yes. tying out for, for, for the the setup for lower decks, and I just didn't care. I think Star Trek Two to me is like the perfect Star Trek film so far. Well, it's and the I best in my think, opinion. Yeah. I thank you. I also think Star Trek Two is not just a good Star Trek film. I, I think it is a good film. You cannot know anything about Star Trek, watch Star Trek Two, and still have a good time, in my opinion. I agree with that completely. I would say this: if you like Star Trek in any way, and I realize you're not necessarily a lifelong fan like I am, right. If you do, then you are used to the fact that it is going to traffic in time travel. It's going to traffic oh, yeah, yeah. in alternate no, realities. No, but what I was going to say about four, that the reason why I was talking about Star Trek 2 is when I saw Star Trek 3, my big problem with Star Trek 3 after Star Trek 2 was I felt like there was no humor in it. I felt like it was just such a dour story. Star Trek 4, see, I'm circling back here, for me was the exact opposite. It was too much of a comedy for me. They overcorrected. Like, 
Two, I thought, was the perfect encapsulation, like I said, of Star Trek. I mean, it had action, and it was funny. It wasn't too funny. It had stakes. It had wit. You know what I mean? Just like the, the three and four went as you, either or in the opposite direction. So they went all one way or all the other way. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. I understand that people love four. I was one of the more popular films, but I swear to God, I remember seeing it in the theaters when it came out. And the, where are the nuclear vessels? I cringed. Yeah. The Wessel, the Wessels just hurt me. They did. They, they, they physically hurt me. It's funny to think that, that the one with the goofiest tone was directed by Leonard Nimoy. Who I just don't think of as... He also directed the Dowerist one, too, because he did three. So, I mean, hey, he was going both ends of the directorial spectrum there. Well, three was awful, in my opinion, partly because it was so cheap. Partly because it was that the whole purpose of it was to make the big emotional payoff of the previous movie pointless. Just like you don't care about going to see Black Widow now that she's dead. We're going to have to go through this whole journey just to reverse the thing that had the most impact last time. Is this trip really necessary? And uh, I guess it was... You know, he was he was there for three more movies um, and, and appearances on Next Generation, which was fine. But uh, if they had just left him dead, I would have been fine with that, too. Um, I think possibly well, Leonard yeah, Nimoy would have been. Yeah, but, 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 but basically, I mean, right now I'm like, I, I mean, I'm going to watch it because I did. I, I, I surprisingly, like you, surprisingly loved Picard season one and I love Q, but I'm still going to be sitting there going, damn, time travel. Like I said, after all good things, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'll watch at least the first couple of episodes, despite the fact that I I absolutely hate Q. Um, Right. And I'm doing it partly because I really did like that first season, and I would kind of like to see where they go. But I'm hoping that just as Picard's more annoying personality traits were tamped down by age and the clear disinterest of the showrunners in revisiting those old tropes, I'm hoping that it'll be a take on Q that will not be as insufferable as he was in the 80s. I mean, there's a lot of stuff from the 80s, you know, neon jewelry, that I just would seem a little out of place now. Q's personality no, is one of those things. I completely agree with you on that. I completely agree with you on that. Picard has changed. I am actually, as a fan of Q, I'm actually excited to see how Q has changed. Uh, I hope he's abashed. As I, I genuinely I genuinely want to see how Q has evolved. I, I, I will find that interesting, at least for one episode. At least for one episode. Oh, okay. All right, yeah. One of them just brought out a banjo. I gotta go. So, um, uh, thank you for listening to the Slum Gully, and we will have another episode much sooner. It will be much sooner this time. It will. I promise. Uh, we both promise on this one. Um, I am Jeff. Three hours behind me is Scott. Definitely see Psycho Gorman, and until later, later. <laughs>